0: back to the superhero soundtrack show i'm your host alex robson and for this episode we are going to conclude with our final look at the soundtrack for 1989's batman directed by tim burton and music composed by danny elfman Over the last two episodes, we've reviewed the Batman theme, the Joker's many themes, the love themes, but there is one big character left that we haven't discussed yet. A character that is practically in every scene of this movie, and sets the tone for the entire film. I'm talking of course about Gotham City, the living, breathing, crime-ridden city that Batman has sworn to protect. Gotham City was created and built at Pinewood Studios here in the UK. Batman co-creator Bob Kane was filmed walking around the set and giving his initial thoughts on the great city that he created. Here I am at Pinewood Studios in England, looking at Gotham City transposed from my hometown of New York. When I was just a kid growing up in New York City, walking in the mean streets of Manhattan, I envisioned Gotham the way I see it now at Pinewood. They've got every brick and every building and cornerstone here. It's just marvellous. So, before we look at the music of Gotham, I want to look at the man who created Gotham for this film, the late great Anton Furst, who sadly took his own life in 1991. Furst's designs for Gotham were incredible, his mixture of Art Deco and Gothic architectures was pitch perfect. First was well known for creating the believable Vietnam War sets in Stanley Kubrick's *Full Metal Jacket*, and was hired as the production designer for *Batman* based on that achievement. The Gotham City set cost two million dollars to build, and it's the size of a small amusement park, larger even than the Main Street area of Disneyland. But that's where the comparison stopped. This view of an urban disaster area was cooked up for Burton by a graduate of London's Royal Academy of Art, Anton Furst, who created an architect's nightmare. That, that was the intention, to maintain this completely bleak, miserable town and uh, starve as a background. So, so we were gone to sort of grey stone, brown stone, concrete... That was very much the finishes we were going for. We tried to imagine going back in New York a hundred years and imagining how it might have developed. Had there been no city planning? Had there been no authorities to... To heighten the nightmarish effect that Burton wanted, many of the buildings are based on real designs that don't mix. This boilerplate look by Japanese architect Shen Takamatsu wound up fronting Gotham City's museum. A cathedral by Spain's Antonio Gaudí was transplanted to a location off Gotham Square, and the works of American architect Louis Sullivan were mixed in along the avenues, dwarfed by massive steel footings. Anton first description of his approach to Gotham was perfect, and to me... This Gotham City is still the definitive Gotham that we've ever seen on screen and heavily influenced Batman the Animated Series co-creator Eric Radomsky, who went on to design the look of Gotham for the Animated Series and based it off of first designs. Anton First even went on to win an Oscar for his production design in this film. And the Oscar goes to... Uh, Anton First for Batman. <laughs> Except decorations. So, now we have an award-winning Gotham City, how do you create a series of musical scores to match the various locations seen in this film? Well, Danny Elfman spent many nights walking around set to find his inspiration and get the tone for this gothic landscape. After audiences are introduced to the Batman theme at the top of this film, we are then immediately introduced to Gotham City. However, as we first see the city streets, we get no music. None. None. What we get instead is a cacophony of police sirens, car horns, boombox-blowing music, and busy, dirty streets. The only music we hear, actually, is coming from a stereo, with a song written and performed by Prince titled The Future. It's not until the visiting family that we're introduced to get lost and turn down the wrong alleyway do we start to get some foreboding tones from Elfman. We even get that brief but unsettling noise of what it sounds like when you hear those nails on a chalkboard or that razor wire, which is the same cue used for the Joker later on in this film. Let's take a listen. God. Uh, oh, God. Taxi! 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 Wait! Let's go, guys. Come on. looking down the road. Come on, guys. For God's sake, Harold, can we please just get a taxi? I'm trying to get a taxi! We're going for long. Jimmy, put that away, we'll look like tourists. Hi honey. We'll never get a cab, let's cut over to 7th. 7th is that way! I know where we are. Selecting to not open Gotham with any music, I think was the right choice. By being bombarded with the sounds of the busy streets, it puts us right in the heart of Gotham City, and it demonstrates its chaos and its danger. Which leads me to what I've been hinting at for the last two episodes, the use of diegetic sound. What is diegetic sound? Well, if you haven't googled it yet, it's quite simple. It's essentially sounds or music heard by characters on screen and not just by the audience. So the car horns, crowded streets of people, sirens, the boombox music, and everything else we just heard that created the audio identity of Gotham is all diegetic sound. And besides the many noises that Gotham creates, the other big use of diegetic sound in this film are the Prince songs, all written and released on their own album six months before the movie even came out, which I'll be reviewing at the end of this episode. But back to Gotham. So we've just been introduced to the sounds of dark alleyways, but what about rooftops? After the two muggers brutally attack and rob the poor visiting family, they count their cash on the rooftops as they discuss the recent disappearance of an acquaintance and fellow criminal. As they discuss the myth of the Bat, Batman slowly descends into the scene behind them, and we hear the beginnings of the Batman theme. For the first time. Five stories straight down. There wasn't no blood in the body. No shit. It was all over the pavement. Get that, here, man. Hey, shut up, man. Listen to me. It's not until the end of this sequence when Batman leaps from the rooftop to we first hear the fully realized and complete Batman theme. What are you? I'm Batman. Yeah! What's interesting to me about this scene in particular is when Batman reveals himself to the muggers. As he spreads his cape and he leaps down to face them, Elfman increases the tension in the music by incorporating bongos and creates an almost tribal sound to the rooftops of Gotham. Mixed with the strings, horns, and percussion, it creates this eerie jungle sound which reminds me of the Predator score by Alan Silvestri. In my opinion, being that Gotham could be described as a concrete jungle, It works really well here and gives us a taste of what Elfman's take on various portions of Gotham City will sound like. Do you want your cut of this money or not? Now shut up! Shut up! Besides rooftops and city streets, where else in Gotham do we go in this film? The next score I want to visit is that of the Access Chemicals plant. Jack Napier, who will soon become the Joker, is sent to rob the chemical plant but is set up by his boss Carl Grissom. Upon discovering that the Access's is safe is empty, Jack and his gang are confronted by the Gotham police force and a gunfight ensues. For this scene, Elfman gives us this very bouncy and guttural beat, which is created by the cellos of the orchestra. It almost sounds as though he's created a sound for the chemical waste that's bubbling in the vats of the chemical plant. But maybe that's me going too deep on it. Ugh, deep. Get it? Because Jack falls into the vat and... never mind. Anyway, along with blending in the horns that scat their way through this song, it feels very much like a track you would hear in a 1950s gangster film. Which is a perfect fit for Gotham City and its gangsters, as they're all wearing trench coats and hats and fedoras, and they all look like they work for Al Capone. The amount of times that track has been stuck in my head and I consistently hum it as I go about my day. Cleaning the kitchen, doing the dishes. Yep, I'm that type of person. Okay, so the next area of Gotham I want to visit is the action newsroom where Joker takes over the broadcast and shows off his new cosmetic products to a catchy little jingle. you. <laughs> Back- kill the camera. This is Renee on the news floor. Dane, I need some paramedics up here now. All right. New and improved Joker products with a new secret ingredient. Smiley. What is this? Now, let's go over to our blind taste test. Love that Joker. Where is it coming from? I don't know. Uh Uh-oh. He don't look happy. He's been using brand X. With new Joker brand. I get a grin a and a gim. Oh, 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 oh. That luscious tan. Those ruby lips and hair color, so natural, only your undertaker knows for sure. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Where? I get these fine new items. Well that's the gang Chances are you bought them already. <laughs> so remember, put on a happy face. <laughs> this fun little public TV sounding tune reminds me of the type of music you would hear on QBC in America, or even Elfman's own score for The Simpsons. That's right, if you didn't know, Danny Elfman created the title track for The Simpsons. What you probably don't know is that The Simpsons theme and the Batman theme are quite similar. They were both written by Elfman in the late 80s, practically back to back as they both came out in 1989. Both themes are structured the same, as far as the pace and the rhythm, except for The Simpsons is in a major mode, whilst The Batman is in a minor mode. But the most interesting part is how both themes are presented. You have that slow build-up, then you have that crescendo, and then as both themes pick up the tempo, the riff flourishes, and we get the rhythm that Elfman has been building up to the entire track. And finally, both themes end with the headlining title and accompanied by an emphatic final chord that ends it on a big final statement. (laughs) It's interesting whether Elfman consciously did this or not, he designed both themes in the same structure, except for one was dark and mysterious, whilst the other was more fun and quirky. Okay, back to Gotham again. The next score I want to review is on the steps of the Gotham Courthouse. As a notorious mobster, Vinnie Ricorso and his gang exit the building, they are greeted by a horde of reporters, but something strange is happening unbeknownst to them. Whilst Bruce Wayne and Vicky Bale both look on, a series of mimes and clown makeup start to close in around them. Joker reveals himself in a top hat, and the music intensifies as he takes a feather pen and throws it like a dart through the neck of Ricorso, killing him instantly. Such a cool track. It's mischievous in nature with the keys, but the strings keep that uneasy tension. You can almost picture yourself sneaking around this track. The strings portion of this song are also very similar to Bernard Herrmann's Psycho score. Yes, that's right, another Herrmann reference for this film, but as I've said before, he was a huge influence on Danny Elfman, and it's no surprise that he snuck in as many odes as he could. Let's listen to that again and pay attention to the strings portion of this track this time and the tension that they create. Now let's listen to Herman's Psycho score. Very similar indeed. Okay, so the final Gotham location I want to review is for the film's finale, which takes place on the rooftop of Gotham's Cathedral. A very big and operatic piece of music that is led by an organ and incorporates church bells with the orchestra. It really embodies and depicts the large Gothic halls of this cathedral. sound like a broken record here, and I know I've referenced Bernard Herrmann a lot over the course of my episode reviews, but this is yet another track that was influenced by Herrmann when Danny Elfman went to write the music for this scene. Let's take a listen to Herrmann's score for Mysterious Island, where you'll hear very familiar notes to the Cathedral track we've just listened to. It's undeniable, and Elfman has never shied away from the fact that Bernard Herrmann is one of his biggest influences to date. But I was a fan of film music uh, since about age 11, and I owe that strictly to Bernard Herrmann. Uh, I loved his scores, I noticed, I think I was about 11 years old when I heard the score of The Day the Earth Stood Still, and it's the first time I noticed film music, and a name, and I realised, this isn't just there, somebody actually did it. be Herman in my lifetime but you know he, he's the model that I would strive for just in terms of the use of being inventive and melody and um, emotional content. So we've taken a look at Gotham City but there's one more remaining score left to review and that is the score for the Batmobile. Now you may wonder what I'm talking about as most of the time we see the Batmobile on screen, the Batman theme or the Bat March plays along with it, which is correct. But as I mentioned in the first episode, the score for this movie is much like an opera, and certain themes are played for certain characters, Well, the Batmobile is no different. We first hear this Batmobile theme, not when it's revealed outside the museum, but when it's rocketing down the road towards the Batcave later on. The reason I think Elfman decided to play the Batmobile theme here, and not when it's first revealed, is because Batman was the one rescuing Vicki Vale, and the Batmobile was only a part of the situation. So the Batmarch would be more logical to play there. It's only when we see its full potential and power as it speeds towards the Bat Cave that's when we get a series of shots that would make anyone go, that's the coolest car I've ever seen, and I want one. You've got to have a song to go with it, right? Got to have a musical cue? Well, the track is titled Descent Into Mystery. The scene involves Batman driving Vicki Vale to the Bat Cave after rescuing her from the Joker, and without music, this scene would be extremely awkward. Seriously, watch this scene on mute, and it's just a silent exchange of glances between Batman and Vicky Bale. It's so weird. But, with Elfman's powerful score, the introduction of a choir, an entirely new piece of music for this film, we get this. Stuff, especially how the music intensifies as they enter the Batcave, really escalating what would be a boring scene without music. But why is it the theme for the Batmobile? Well, Elfman introduces this music cue again in the film later on when the Batmobile is shown driving into Joker's hideout with the intention of destroying it. We see the many weapons and gadgets that this vehicle possesses as it takes down any obstacle that stands in its way, and then drives through the fiery destruction it's created and arrives safely back to Batman, who's standing outside controlling it from a remote. And that's the best part, Batman isn't even driving it. You've just watched this whole scene thinking Batman is behind that wheel, but instead, he's remote controlling it from outside the chemical plant. Not since the old James Bond films have we seen a cooler looking, gadget wielding car like this, and it rightfully deserves its own theme. Let's listen to this track, which is appropriately titled Charge of the Batmobile. that Batmobile theme that we heard before? It doesn't appear anywhere else in the film, just for these two scenes, which both involve the Batmobile, and that's why there's no doubt in my mind that Elfman wrote a score for this incredible car. So now we've explored all of Elfman's scores for this film and gone over them in detail, what's left? Well, there's still some tracks to review that are featured in this film, but they're not composed by Danny Elfman. Instead, they're written and performed by Prince. As I mentioned in part 1 of this review, the studio's original intentions were to have Michael Jackson and Prince write and perform the music for this film, and Elfman's job was to blend it together to make a cohesive score. Thank god that didn't happen. That would be like a new Batman film coming out today, and Taylor Swift and Ariana Grande being commissioned to write the music. I'm not up to date on my modern pop music, so that might be wrong, but regardless, it just wouldn't work. The film would ultimately be a subject of the time and fall flat decades on. The timelessness of Danny Elfman's score holds up to this day, and the only thing that dates it now is, coincidentally, the Prince tracks that were used in this film. Prince wrote nine songs for this movie, and Warner Brothers released a separate album for Batman that featured these tracks. However, only a few of these tracks made it into the film, And what's interesting is the choice that Burton and Elfman made when using these Prince tracks. Instead of playing it over an intense love scene or a big action sequence, they selected to only use it as diegetic sound and only use them for the Joker scenes. We get a taste of what a Prince-themed Joker music would have been like in this film, in the scene when Joker gasses all the people inside the museum. After everyone besides Vicky Bale is out for the count, Joker bursts through the doors to desecrate some priceless pieces of art, and it's here that we get the Prince song titled Party Man. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence! Lawrence! I must admit i found myself dancing to that tune a few times in my life earlier in the film we hear another prince song being played in the background once again used as diegetic sound for the scene the scene takes place at wayne manor where bruce wayne is hosting a casino night in his home the prince song used here is titled electric chair Commissioner, Mrs. Gordon, you look How about that rumor that the commissioner's got a file on the bat? That's not true, is it? Not for the ninth time. There is no bat were, We would find him. We would arrest him. Would you confirm him? Be Be straight. Thank you, ladies Commissioner, how are you making out? No good at all. Oh, Mr. Dent, I love that tie. Uh, you know, Gordo and I were just discussing the pros and cons of wing vigilantes. What's your stand? <laughs> Mr. Knox, we have enough problems in this city without worrying about ghosts and goblins. I don't have Pointing, I but That's not. that's not a denial. The next and final Prince track we hear in this film is during the parade sequence in the third act of the movie. As Joker stands atop a parade float, throwing out fistfuls of cash to the crowds below and celebrates by dancing along to the music, it creates this very gleeful scene. And an Elfman score here wouldn't have been right, compared to this track, and as much as the Prince songs do date this film, it just works. The track is titled Trust. Which could have to do with the fact that Joker is fooling all of Gotham's citizens into trusting him by just giving away free money and not harming them. (laughs) And how wrong they are. Let's take a listen. featured in this film is during the end credits. The song is titled, Scandalous, and this is the only Prince song of this film that isn't used as diegetic sound. Come Feel dying for. Did you recognize parts of the rhythm there? It's the same note as the love theme between Vicky Vale and Bruce Wayne. It's unclear, and I couldn't really find definitive evidence of who wrote it first. But whether Elphin wrote it first and Prince took the same rhythm, or vice versa, this is the only track where the two Batman albums released for this film have a common thread. But as I reviewed on the last episode, the love theme is an ode to Bernard Herrmann's love theme from the movie Vertigo. They are so similar, and since Elphin was such a big fan, most likely Elton based love theme off of this score and Prince followed and took the same beat for Scandalous. So, I'm not going to review every single track of Prince's Batman album, as there is a lot of them. Besides the ones we've already heard, the rest of them don't appear in the film. But there is one that isn't in the film that I just have to review as it's so ridiculous and so fun. The track is titled Bat Dance, which became a smash hit in 1989. The music video involves Prince dressed half as Batman and half as the Joker, almost like his own weird version of the villain Two-Face. Multiple backup dancers are dressed as Jokers or Batman and are dancing around with him. We even get a team of dancers dressed as Vicky Vale later on. And the song includes multiple clips of dialogue from the film. If you haven't seen this music video, do yourself a favour and Google it. It's hysterical. But the main reason I bring it up besides its comedy value, is because Prince incorporates a segment of the 1966 Batman theme into this song, which is exactly what Tim Burton and Danny Elfman were trying to avoid when approaching this film. The campiness of Adam West Batman is something that would have tarnished this film, and I think this is a big reason why this smash pop hit wasn't ultimately used in the movie. Oh, I got a live one here. <laughs> This concludes my review for Batman. I have to say that I've learned so much about this film and its music, and I hope you have too. This also gets me excited for future episodes and to discover and to share with you all the things you might not have known about your favorite superhero scores. Please subscribe and rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to me on right now, as it is truly a big help and sincerely appreciated. You can contact me on Facebook or Twitter at superhero soundtrack show. Or write me at soundtrack at gmail.com as I want to hear from you. I will answer every message and I want to know what this score meant to you and your memories of it growing up. I also would love to receive your feedback on the podcast and any requests you might have for future episodes. And if listening to me on here is not enough, I also co-host two other podcasts with my brother, the first being Spider-Man the animated series podcast where we review episodes of the critically acclaimed 90s animated series, we interview voice actors, creators of the show, plus lots more. And the second podcast is titled Casting Call where we recast popular films and interpret them what they would look like in the modern day. Thank you again for listening and until next time, I've been Alex Robson and this has been the Superhero Soundtrack show. And remember, if you got to go, the slob! <laughs>